The following is an exclusive broadcast from Between Rounds Radio. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash between rounds. It's Fight Court. Fight Court. Court is now in session. Here are your hosts, Rob Tatum and King Mo Lawal. Hey everyone, welcome to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. I'm Rob Tatum. With me as always is King Mo Lawal. What's up, what's up? Tonight we're going to touch on a, a full slate of uh, action this weekend in the combat sports world. Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're also going to talk about the difference in promotion between strikers and grapplers. And finally, we're going to dive into a, a, a bit of a touchy topic, if you will, and, and that's uh, weight cutting in, in MMA. So, uh, obviously, Mo's got some first-hand knowledge on that one, but we'll, we'll save that for a little later in the show. So, uh, Mo, I want to dive into this weekend slate. I mean, it is one of the busiest weekends of action we've had in a really, really long time. Uh, there's uh, Bellator stopping in, in Milan. They've got some MMA action. They've got a kickboxing event. Uh, we've got PFL opening up their playoffs on Friday night uh, with the women's lightweight division and the men's welterweight divisions. Uh, Ryzen has an event in, in Osaka on, on Saturday. We've got Glory with an event in Dusseldorf uh, on Saturday as well. Uh, EF, uh, the UFC is touching down in uh, Tampa on, on Saturday night. One Championship has a two-part event that takes place basically Saturday night and into Sunday morning here in the States. Uh, it's, it's one of the busiest weekends I can remember in recent memory, Mo. Um, you know, there's a lot of fights going on this weekend. I'm curious, is there one fight on any of those cards that really stands out to you and, and you feel is a can't miss fight? Uh, honestly, I, they're all, I don't know. I, I can't say it because every time I predicted a, a must watch fight, it's always fell, fall short. <laughs> so, uh, really? I just feel like, hey, take the chance, watch them, and see what pops up. Yeah, Get ready to the, be surprised. Be surprised. I, I honestly feel for fight fans a little bit this weekend because trying to choose between all these cards is going to be a, a little tricky, to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be watching Glory on Saturday morning for sure, and then that evening, I don't know, man. There's 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 so many options. I, this is a this weekend's really unique in that one championship they're they're hosting their 100th event from Tokyo it's actually going to be the first portion is going to be broadcast live on TNT on on Saturday night which is the first time that I can remember that happening I know I've seen some of their event replays on TNT but you know to actually have a live event going basically head to head or, or just after the UFC ends is something that they have not done before and it's not like they're just giving you know any card or anything like that there, there is a legit card on Saturday night, uh, you know, they've got Angela Lee. Uh, she's defending her Atomweight title. Demetrius Johnson is competing in the, the finals of the Flyweight Grand Prix. It's it's not any, uh, you know, run-of-the-mill card that they're putting on. But, uh, you know, the, the one fight that caught my attention this weekend is actually on the second part of the one championship card that's in Tokyo. Uh, it's the, the finals of their Featherweight Kickboxing Grand Prix. And it's between Sammy Santa and Giorgio Petrosian who are both, you know, uh, top 10 ranked uh, lightweights. Uh, you know, one has these goofy rules with their weight classes. Featherweight is really lightweight for those that aren't aware of that. But, um, but you know, Georgia Petrosian is one of the greatest kickboxers of all time. I mean, he, he's held the top spot 
in the pound for pound rankings. He's held the top spot in the lightweight division, you know, arguably one of the best fighters that's ever stepped into the ring, uh, you know, well over a hundred fights and only a couple of losses. He's, he's kind of reinvented himself over the last few years. And what I love about what one has done with their kickboxing action is they're throwing guys in there with four ounce gloves in a cage sometimes. Like th- that's not what this happens to be, but I love that they've done Muay Thai. I love that they've done what they call their super series where they do put guys in four ounce gloves and have them kickbox. But th- this one is actually a true kickboxing about. And I think that, um, you know, Sammy Sana is, is a guy that maybe people don't know, you know, in the way that people, you know, casual kickboxing fans, I mean, they've probably heard of Petrosian, but they probably haven't heard of Sammy Sana. And I think that, He's got a chance to play spoiler here. He's a really long fighter who who knows how to control range really well. And what I think is difficult, you know, Petrosian relies so much on his boxing that he he likes to get inside and throw with combinations. I mean, he, he certainly is a well-accomplished kicker as well. But that range of Santa, I think, makes this a very competitive fight. And I think that of all the fights that are going on this weekend, that's the one that kind of, you know... It has me drooling at the mouth over here. I, I think that that's going to be the most competitive, uh, you know, most fun fight that happens this weekend. Well, I forgot one fight to mention. <clears throat> Ong, I can't say his last name. <laughs> it's it's double champ, I think, versus champ. Yep. So that's actually on that same card. It's it's the yeah. main event of that card. Uh, Ong in Lasang is going to be taking on Brandon Vera. So uh, he he's already got the the light heavyweight and and I think the the middleweight Middle strap yeah. yeah and so you know Brandon Vera's got the heavyweight belt so he's going to be dropping down to try to basically dethrone Song and make him not a double champ so that Vera can be a double champ so yeah I mean there there's there's some intrigue there for sure I mean Brandon Vera I mean I'm sure most of our listeners know like you know he was hyped as the the next big thing at one point uh, and, and kind of had a a falling out, but it seems like he's kind of had a little resurgence w- with one championship. I, I think it's a intriguing fight. I, I really don't know, you know, uh, Sang has had kind of an up and down run. He's done really well while he's been over in, in one, but prior to that, he wasn't, you know, a world beater. So I think this is an interesting fight in that. I think both of these guys when they're on are a lot of fun to watch. And I think it's a really hard fight to predict. I agree with you. That's why it's so intriguing to me. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how um, Brandon Vera does going down 205. He hasn't been there in who knows how long. Um, and Ong, I, I just feel like he's on. He's very confident, has a good camp behind him. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, man. I, I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the, the under-the-radar fights that's going on this weekend. Um, you know, certainly there's some other stuff that, is going to be fun. Oh, uh, oh, my bad. And one more, one more fight. Yeah, go Nim- for it. Nimkov versus yep. Carvalho. Yep, yes. that was that was the next one I was actually just going to mention. So the Bellator 230 headliner over in Milan, uh, former middleweight champion Rafael Carvalho, is moving up in weight to take Vadim Nimkov uh, at light heavyweight. I, I think that that's that's a great stylistic matchup. You know, it's it's two guys from very different bases, and and I don't think you're going to get one of those awkward, boring Carvalho, you know, staring matches like we've had a couple times. I think that Nimkov won't let that happen. So I- I'm with you. That That's going to be a fun one. I man, think Carvalho is a different person at 205, man. He, man, he's walking around at 225, 230 before the Chidi fight. 
Yeah, that's, he's big. That's crazy. That's that's really crazy. You know, there's lots of other stuff that's going on. I think the Glory 69 main event, uh, Marat Gagorian is going to put his lightweight belt on the line against uh, Tajani Bastati. Uh, I think that that's a, a great fight. You know, Gregorian had five cracks at Sidichai and finally solved the puzzle in, in the fifth fight. Took the belt. Uh, Bistati's super young, uh, you know, comes from Morocco, fights really long. I, I think that's an interesting fight. Uh, you know, PFL kicks off its playoffs on Friday. You've got the, the women's lightweight uh, semifinals going on. Kayla Harrison uh, versus Jenna Fabian. Sarah Kaufman versus Larissa Pacheco. I mean, I think everybody's already got a Harrison-Kaufman final in mind for that, but I, I think that there's uh, potential for some spoilers. And, and you know, the, the welterweight quarterfinals are on that same card. There's lots of big names on that card. I mean, guys that have been around forever, Chris Curtis, John Howard, you know, Ray Cooper the third had that crazy run last year. And then, you know, of course, the returning champ, Magomed, Magomed Karamov, who I, I think is one of the most underrated welterweights on the planet. And, and I think that I wouldn't be surprised if he runs the table again in that division. And don't sleep on Pacheco. She is tough. She took uh, Kayla to her decision. And she was game the whole fight. Yeah. Don't I, sleep I, on her. I, I'm interested on that one because she's so much bigger than Sarah Kaufman naturally. And and it's not, yeah. you know, she fought in the UFC. You know, like you said, she went the distance with Kayla. It, it's not like she's going to be intimidated going in there against Sarah Kaufman. I think if it stays a technical striking fight, Sarah Kaufman eats her alive. But realistically, there, there's that could be a really fun fight, um, especially if it hits the ground. Because, you know, Kaufman, while she's a, I think she's a brown belt it's not her forte to play on the ground. So I think that there's that, that could be a lot of fun. Um, the one thing that I think is flying under the radar this weekend though, is that Ryzen uh, lightweight grand prix. A, a, a lot of people seem to be forgetting about it. Like they're, they're kicking off uh, that this weekend and, and there's a bunch of big name guys in there. I mean, UFC vets, Johnny case, Damian Brown, uh, you know, Tatsuya Kawajiri's in there. And then you've also got, P- P- yeah, Patricky Pitbull is in there, and you've got you know Roberto de Souza, who's who's a undefeated you know really good Brazilian fighter. I think that there's there, there's going to be a lot of fun fights on that card, and on top of that, you've got uh, you know Rena is on that card, Siohi Ham is on that card, uh, you know your buddy Yuri is on that card fighting yeah, Fabio Maldonado, yeah. like both Maldonado's but my guy too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so. It, it's like like I was saying. I don't. I almost feel bad for MMA fan or combat sports fans a little bit this weekend because there's yeah. just so much and like with with these cards going on in in Europe and, and uh, Japan and all this stuff, you, you can't do it all. I mean, it, you know, I, even if I was a young kid and could you know stay up all night, hopped up on caffeine, I still don't know that I could uh, digest all that's going on <laughs> on Saturday night and. and we didn't even talk about the UFC card. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, Cron Gracie, Mackenzie Dern, you know, there, there's Bill Swanson. Yeah. There, there's some, yeah. there's some crazy fights on that card too. I mean, uh, you know, Luis Pena's on the card, you know, the, and, and we'll get to Maybe the main. Abus. Yeah. And we'll get to that main event uh, a little bit later, but yeah, there's, there's just a lot going on this weekend. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, surprisingly, I think that that one card is probably the one that has the most intrigue for me, but it's kind of unfortunate that it airs at like three o'clock in the morning. Cause I, I just know that there's no way with my schedule, I'm going to be able to make that one work. I will. I'll be up. I wake up around three. I don't know why I don't sleep much, but I will be able to watch that. 
<laughs> well, there you have it, folks. If if you're up and you're watching that card, Mo will be around for you to converse with uh, on social media. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. Welcome back to Fight Court. Uh, Mo, you, you're the one who brought up this next topic, so I think I'm going to let you uh, speak to it for a little while here, but... You know, we were talking uh, before the show about what we wanted to discuss this week, and, and you mentioned that the way that strikers and grapplers are promoted in MMA is different. And, you know, it's one of those things that I hadn't given a lot of thought to recently, but I know you're spot on. So, you know, what what exactly was driving you to, to bring up that topic, and, and what do you think some of the issues are there, and, and how do we solve them? Well, really, when it comes down to it, <clears throat> I've been looking at the, the people that have been fast-tracked to title shots. Nganu, fast-tracked. Adesanya, fast-tracked. McGregor, fast-tracked. Till, fast-tracked. One thing all four of those have in common is they're devastating strikers with knockout power. Um, now, you look at Habib. How many fights did he have before he even got a title shot? Granted, the injuries came up, but I feel like they made him run through more hoops before he got a chance to um, uh, um, fight for the belt. And now, now if you look at the the, the UFC, um, Dana White and the UFC's culture, look at the Dana White fight series, contender series. If you're a grappler, you have no chance unless you're doing spectacular submissions off off the rip. But if you're a striker and you can knock somebody out, it can be somewhat dynamic with your striking. You will you will get signed. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Um, I feel like now, if you look at MMA, the touchdown is a knockout. Really, the touchdown is just getting the stoppage. But now, the way things are marketed, the, when you look at highlights, you don't really see submissions. You see more knockouts and, and striking. I don't know how that's, how that's going to change. It's probably going to change with more education or possibly getting more people interested, interested in uh, – grappling forums like maybe they should do something with Abu Dhabi and explain how tough grappling really is maybe they should have I don't know what the what the, the answer is that is because I, I come from a wrestling background so I can appreciate the grappling aspect and the grappling forums that you see in MMA but the casual fan I think they really see the striking I think that, that MMA as a whole a lot of the companies have played up towards that and it's kind of hurt the grapplers in a sense yeah, and I mean, I know we've touched on it here a couple times. I mean, I've always questioned, you know, coming from a, a kickboxing background, why MMA fans don't love kickboxing. I mean, if they're going to boo grappling and they're going to, you know, not build stars out of grapplers, then why aren't these people supporting kickboxing? It, it's one of the strangest things to me, and it's unfortunate to me because, honestly, part of the reason why I fell in love with MMA is because of how much strategies involved in the grappling game. I mean, boxing and kickboxing have been around much, much longer. And I think that most casual fans of all three sports can understand the basics of striking. You know, everybody that's ever watched any fight knows what a, a jab is, knows what a cross is, knows what a hook is, but they probably don't know what an omoplata is. You know, they, they, they may not know even what a double leg is. I mean, it's just little things like that. To your point, it's kind of an education thing. But I think you touched on what to me is a more concerning thing. And I know I've been outspoken about it. And so have some other, uh, you know, MMA pundits, I guess, if you will. 
is the the contender series. I I feel like the the whole purpose of that show has been to create squash matches, and when they started trying to match fighters up a little bit more evenly, and you started seeing decisions, they started like ripping on fighters for that. And it's like you know this weekend actually on the PFL card, Brennan Lofnan was on Dana White's Contender Series, completely dominated his opponent for the entire fight, and went for a takedown at the at the final clap, and Dana White said, no one, I'm not signing anyone who shoots for a takedown with 10 seconds left. After the guy had dominated for over 14 minutes, it wasn't even close, and he didn't sign him because of that. To, to me, if if that's what he wants, he should start a kickboxing promotion. Well, the thing is, if you think about this, my bad to interrupt you, but no, you're good. He created that with the five of the night bonus, because now you see guys say, you know what, I'm going for the five of the night, and guys that really can't strike will go out there to strike, to hope to win the five of the night bonus, the extra fifty thousand dollars. You know, like um, it, it's crazy when um, if you think about think about the negative connotations, like okay, so sticking sticking to moving isn't bad. Okay, um, you got point fighting, that's bad, but you got the sprawling brawl was good. You got the so we got the wet blanket. You got the um, wall install. You got different things, but more of the negative connotations are geared towards the grappling forms. Yeah, I mean, I, as someone who's watched a shitload of kickboxing matches through the years, I can tell you there's plenty of times where two guys spend the entire fight on the feet, and it's boring as hell. I mean, I mean, to, to just assume that because the fight stays on the feet that it's going to be better than on the ground is insanity to me especially when you have the kind of talent that the UFC has on its roster I mean whether it's Cron Gracie this weekend or Damian Maya or you know uh Ronaldo Jacare Souza you, you you've got some of the greatest grapplers that have ever transitioned into combat sport you know into fight sports and just the way that you know Jacare almost became a strike like basically turned into more of a striker because of that which is just insane to me I mean at least Guys like Damian Maya and Ben Askren have have stayed true to their roots, but you saw what Ben Askren had to go through just to get to the UFC and the way that they've treated him since. I mean, I, I will say this, though. They are putting Askren and, and Maya in, in a good spot on that Singapore card. I mean, and, and I think for those of us that do appreciate grappling and, and the techniques involved, that fight is one of, it's one of my dreams in terms of, of fights that can happen, uh, you know, in MMA. I, I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I hope it spends 15 minutes on the mat and or 25 minutes, whatever it is. I, I actually hope they don't stand there and try to throw sloppy jabs at one another. Well, well the thing is, like, if you think about it, Dan White pretty much penalized the guy from fighting smart. So that's what he's pretty much telling. He's pretty much telling people to forget your martial arts you train, forget all the aspects of martial, and mixed martial arts you train for, just go out there and just lay on the line, just brawl, swing for the fences. Yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting point. I hadn't really, like, I, I guess if they incentive, you know, if they, if they made it an incentive to finish fights, then maybe some of that would go away. Because if, if everybody who scored a finish got a bonus of some sort, you know, obviously they're not going to hand out $50,000 to everybody. But, you know, if, if maybe they took away that fight of the night, then maybe you wouldn't get that mentality. I mean, I'm with you. If if my paycheck's going to be twelve grand, but I can get fifty grand to go out there and 
you know, just swing wildly and put on a show, then hell yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I, I think that that's what anybody that's, you know, at that level on the prelims, that sort of thing, that's, that's what they're going to do. The, 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 the risk versus reward is, is a no brainer. Well, what they could do instead of doing that is just, you know what, if it's a, if it's a great card, because it, you know, it takes more than just two people to make a card. Great. It takes multiple people on the card to fight their ass off to, to make it great. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a topic for a different day. I, I they're, they're the way that they're promoting, not just strikers and grapplers, but their cards lately, they're, they're so top heavy that it's unfortunate because it makes me wonder if, if those prelim fighters are ever going to get a chance at the exposure and bonuses that they're probably deserving of because, the, you know, you look at this last past weekend's card. I mean, all the talk was about Whitaker and Adesanya. You know, Hooker and Iaquinta was a, a great fight. There were, there were some solid fights on that card, but nobody's talking about any of the other stuff that happened on that card. I mean, you know, I... I I've always been loud and outspoken about the skills of Israel Adesanya, but at the same time, th- there were some other fights on that card that were, were truly fantastic, and it's unfortunate that they kind of got drowned out by what happened in the main event. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, you're right. You're right about that, but you know what? They, they pretty much built the card around them too, pretty much. There, was, there, wasn't much type, there wasn't much talk about the rest of the card. I really think I really think Iaquinta nope. versus Hooker was a phenomenal fight. You know what I'm saying? I think it was a great matchup too. But they didn't spend much time talking about that because they wanted to hype up Adesanya versus versus, um, versus Whitaker, which was rightly which deserved to be hyped up. But at the same time, it overshadowed the rest of the card. Yeah, for sure. And and you know it, it circles back to where we started with all of this is that you know they fast tracked Israel Adesanya, and and I think he's deserving. I think that he's a great fighter. I, you know, we can debate on a different day uh, something I brought up, which, I mean, I think he's the greatest striker that's ever transitioned into MMA, but we can save that for another day. Um, but, you know, how's he going to do against a wrestler? I mean, that's that's one thing. You look at who he's fought. I mean, Gastelum, you know, certainly an okay wrestler, but not, Bronson. A, not a Yoel Just Romero, Bronson. you know. Just Bronson. But Bronson, yeah. like... Um... I don't know, sometimes he fights so emotional, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Derek Brunson was a solid, you know, what, D3, I think? D2, um, D2. He, yeah. yeah, I mean, he solid, but he doesn't really use it in MMA. Like, he, he's definitely become more of a brawler. Uh, I don't know that I would rate that as a big test in terms of Israel Adesanya's career trajectory. I, I think that there's other guys in, in the top 10 that would certainly give him a lot more problems than Derek Brunson ever could. You know, quite possibly, you know, um, there are guys up there we won't know until they fight them. I think I think Jared Cannonier is one. Yeah, I mean that's that's one that is is. I I think if they want to do something fun in that division, you know, you you, if Adesanya is going to fight Costa next, then give Cannonier somebody like Gastelum or Romero next, and whoever comes out of that pile, you know, have them fight Izzy, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think middleweight has finally reached that point where it's fun again, but it doesn't it doesn't change your argument here. And, and I mean, I think what proves it, which just to hammer home your point, Mo, is that when those strikers that got fast tracked get up against a grappler, they get derailed. I mean, Conor McGregor got thoroughly handled by Khabib Nurmagomedov. Darren Till got thoroughly handled by Tyron Woodley. You know, it might happen to Adesanya if he faces Yoel Romero. 
Yeah, but they, I don't think they really want to put Yoel Romero um, out there to get another title shot again. Yeah, probably not. I mean, after the whole missing weight shebang and all that stuff, I, I doubt they're going to go that route too. But, you know, there's certainly been fighters that were strikers that have been warranted for hype. I mean, Jose Aldo comes to mind. I mean, the guy had some of the best takedown defense ever. He definitely fought his fair share of wrestlers and grapplers. And, and you know, Anderson Silva in his prime, obviously, you know, fought just about everybody in that division you know, but you saw the holes in his game when he fought Chelsea on the first time. But you know, it, it's it's weird that you, and I mean they're still doing it. You, you look at the the next pay per view card. Uh, you know, Jorge Masvidal and and Nate Diaz. Yeah, Nate Diaz is a Caesar Gracie, you know, black belt. But they didn't put him in that main event because of his grappling. They put him in that main event because of his trash talk. And you know he's going to go in there and fight a war against Masvidal. He's not going to take him down and try to submit him. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that, man. But I don't know, man. When it comes down to it, I don't know. A lot of questions need to be answered when it comes down to how they market things and uh, the matchups, man. It's a lot of things they can do, but really what brings money is the strikers, man. Yeah, it's – it's. Uh kind of that just bleed crowd if you will you know what i mean they just want to see people go in there and and stand and bang and well, well just yeah, think I, about this the moment it became it became a guy on spike tv and became a um a televised televised entertainment sport deal um they bred a whole new generation of fans these generations of fans saw that one fight bonner versus griffin and it changed everything just that one fight. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue it. I mean, it, it's definitely what reinvented this sport and the product. I mean, it's it's literally the linchpin for what made the UFC what it is today. W- without that fight, we don't ha- we're not even talking about this stuff. No, well, really, well, who knows? Because it's like this. Without that fight, it could be another fight that could have been like a grappling orientated. Well-rounded, you know, what I'm saying like you know, back and forth, reversals, scrambles, striking. You know, it could have been a well-rounded MMA fight. Who knows? That could have been that could have educated fight fans, and then they could fight fight fans now could end up being like the Japanese fans. Who knows? All it takes is just that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like the optimism in that regard, Mo. I I. I, 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 I I agree with you. You know that. I mean, it's one of those things that it eats at me just because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think it really boils down to um, your first point about education. You know, I think if there was some way for them to educate fight fans about the intricacies of grappling, about the positional control and all that sort of stuff, I, I feel like they spend a lot of time talking about what happens on the feet. And I think that they ignore a lot of the, the things that happen on the mat, you know, they'll be like, Oh, he's in half guard. And then they'll do like an ad or something like that. And then they'll be like, Oh, now he's inside. Oh, control. They don't talk they about like, how they, you know, oh, man. set up that pass or the like He's in the half guard. He should be looking to strike here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, or just, you know, Oh, he's he's attacking with the Kimura on the other side so that he can open up the guard and you know and, and just little things like that. Like I feel and I don't know if it's because Joe Rogan hasn't been doing as many 
cards lately and, and you know he is a, a well-versed grappler or if it's just they've completely stopped worrying about that stuff because I don't feel like they put as much emphasis on what's happening on the ground as they, they once did and you know maybe it's my perception maybe it's I, I've started to tune out some of the broadcast stuff through the years but I mean I, I feel like it's hard for a fight fan to understand why grapplers are doing what they're doing the amount of work it takes to get there. I mean, Joe Rogan has been talking for years about how, you know, basically the, the clinch or the over under is one of the most grueling positions in all of combat sports, but he hasn't really gone into the details of why and how, you know, how certain fighters have been super effective with it and that sort of stuff. I mean, you, you could make an entire DVD about the things that Randy Couture was able to do from, uh, the clinch and, and the the single collar tie and those sorts of things. And, and it would teach people a lot or the stuff that Daniel Cormier has been doing for the last few years, you know, being able to chain his wrestling together and get guys down that nobody else has been able to get down. I mean, it's, it's frustrating that only fans who are diehards or have, you know, competed in the sport are educated enough to that level of detail. Yeah. But, but don't forget it, it's a small number of people that, have been around combat sports of some sort. Like, I, like we said earlier, it's education. Not many people in America grew up fighting or doing combat sports. So it's going to take time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's it gives me hope when I see, you know, a whole bunch of kids taking BJJ classes or, you know, younger kids still taking wrestling because, yeah, I mean, it. it there's so many other things that... To, compete with it in the u.s you know we, we talked about it on one of our past episodes about football and all the things that you know basketball hockey all those things that that are competing for people's time so you know what what we're talking about now may be a completely different subject you know five years from now ten years from now who knows i mean i i hope it's the sooner and not the later but you know let's hope that as more and more people are exposed to it they'll start to respect it and then you won't have to have these conversations about whether a promotion is, is ignoring one type of skill set because it doesn't draw oohs and ahs from the crowd. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I you know that's mic drop. But when, when, when it comes down to it, oohs and ahs is what brings the dollar signs, man. That's the only thing. Yep, I mean, we, we have to remember it's it's an entertainment sport whether we want it to be or not, and, and that's that's. That's what matters, you know. What, what's going to draw ratings? What's going to draw people's attention to Sports Center top ten and whatnot? It's usually going to be that flashy spinning back fist or head kick, and you know when someone like Ben Saunders pulls out an omoplata out of nowhere, it, it might make the top ten. But I, I bet most sports fans in the bar aren't going to, you know, bat an eye at it. They'll be like, "Oh, that looks painful." Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take another break here. You're listening to Fight Court on Between Rounds Radio. Got an objection? File a complaint or interact with our staff on our Discord server. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash between rounds. All right, folks, welcome back to Fight Court. I think this last topic we're going to talk about tonight is, is a certainly a touchy one, and, and we could probably talk about it for quite some time. We'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it under wraps a little bit here, but um, this this weekend's upcoming UFC event between uh, Joanna Jacek and Michelle Watterson uh, made some headlines this morning because uh, Jacek had said that 
She wasn't going to be able to make the straw weight limit of 116 pounds. And she basically wanted to negotiate a catch weight with Michelle Watterson. And, you know, for those of you that are familiar with Michelle Watterson's history, she's the former Invicta Atomweight champion. So she's not a very big straw weight. And, you know, yeah, Jacek just challenged for the flyweight belt back at UFC 231. So she's coming back down in weight. And Watterson basically said, no, like, I'm not interested in a catch weight here. Like, you know, fight, fight me at straw weight. So there was talk of cancellation and all that sort of stuff. And, and it looks like yeah, Jacek is going to uh, attempt to make the cut. I think that given that she proactively notified the UFC that she didn't think she could make the weight does not bode well for what happens on Friday on the scale. I mean, if, if she comes in at 118, 120 pounds, I am not going to be the least bit surprised come, uh, you know, when, when those scales, you know, when she hits the scales on Friday and it, it it really begs the question about weight cutting. And, And I know Mo, it's something, you know, you're, you've been cutting weight probably for, the last 20, 30 years, whatever it might be at this point. But, um, you know, Mo, I just want to know what your thoughts are. I mean, is it, should the UFC let this fight happen? I mean, they obviously know she's, she's struggling. She's probably not going to make weight. You know, we know it's a big problem across the sport, but just, just give me what's in your head going into this weekend and this fight. Okay. First of all, I'm the UFC. She's better. If she can make the weight let her. you know, she's a grown woman. We know it's a job. We know the risk we're taking to to perform in this job. Um, second, I think the people should know Adam weight is one hundred and five. So, because people are like you know, yep. oh, she can bump up. No, Adam weight is one hundred and five. The karate hottie is pretty much fighting out of weight class, fighting up versus yep. a woman that's coming down for a weight class that she should be fighting at from the get go. So, like, um, I understand why she want why she wouldn't want to do a catch weight because. She's not naturally a one fifteen pounder to start off with anyway, you know what I'm saying? So yep. like, if she would go one twenty, well, pff, but what difference? She must go one twenty five. You know, um, she should stick to her guns. You know, I'm nothing against Joanna, but I feel like Joanna should be at one twenty five, one fifteen. I think was just too too rough for her. You know, we all grow. We all as we get older, some of us gain weight. So, you know, I, I see Joanna doing strength training. She's filling out more. She should go ahead and just go up. If you look at the trend of fighters that have been going up, you see them winning. Cormier, Masvidal, Poirier. Now, Moicano is moving up. Guys move up and have success. Um, you see um, Cejudo moved up for a fight, for two fights. Had success. Actually, one fight had success. It, I feel like the cutting weight is outdated. You know, I understand, like, you know, now the new the, the thing to do is be around your weight class now. Train around the weight class you're going to fight at. You know, um, cutting 20, 30 pounds ain't, ain't going to help you. It'll shorten your career. Um, it'll bring about more injuries. I, I just think that um, maybe um, I'll, maybe they should start going the 1FC route. If, we, if there's more of a problem, they should do 1FC routes. And they should just, instead of doing, worrying about weight classes, just do super fights. After a while, because people won't be entertained. Belts, okay, belts matter, but fights matter more. Good fights matter more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a good point. You know, it seems like a lot of the fights that the UFC has been finding success with, from a you know draw standpoint, 
are the ones where the weight class doesn't really matter. I mean, it kind of started with the Conor McGregor and, and Nate Diaz fights, and it's continuing with that Masvidal and, and Diaz fight. I mean, they're both fighting at 170, you know, after spending a majority of their career at, at 155. So, and you touched on a bunch of names that have, have had lots of success, and, you know, Kelvin Gastelum's another one. I mean, there, there's been... Whitaker. A lot of fighters, Whit- yeah. yeah. Whitaker moved up, yeah. I mean, he was he was killing himself to make 170 for a long time there, and you know, as soon as he moved up, he, he chased down a belt. So, you know, um, you know, Mo, you come from a wrestling background. How ingrained into the culture is it, though? I mean, even if we were able to to you know maybe curtail some of it in MMA, don't you think it's rooted deeper than that? I mean, a, a lot of guys that come into MMA have that wrestling base and they've been cutting weight since they were kids. I mean, is there any way that you can combat it at, you know, at the, at the root, I guess, if you will, of, of wrestling? Well, you're starting to notice the smart wrestlers aren't cutting as much weight. You're starting to see wrestlers become more and more educated because they're starting to see, Hey, the guys that formed were dying in the third period. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't cut too much weight. And now that they realize guys are dying, not dying, but, but like dying in the third period in a seven minute match, imagine what's gonna be like in a fifteen to twenty five minute fight. You know, you start to see more and more people go up in weight. You know, granted, they'll cut they'll kill themselves and make weight a few fights, and then they'll be like, you know what, time for me to go up. Back in the day, guys would try to stick, stick around and make weight forever. Look at Giant Hendrix. They would kill themselves and make weight. Over Rumble Johnson. You know what I'm saying? So now you're starting to see less and less of that. You'll see guys try to hang around and make weight, and they'll be like, you know what, I'm going up. Joanna went up for a reason originally, but I guess the UFC offered a fight at 115. I feel like 115 is, is a no-no for her. 125 is better for her. She just, she just needs to build up, get bigger, stronger, faster, and carry the same technique as she goes up because she's very skilled. She just needs to go ahead and work on building her body up to go up to 125. Yeah, I think the UFC kind of did her wrong in that regard because losing to Valentina Shevchenko is not a bad thing. I mean, they had fought three times before in Muay Thai, and Shevchenko had won all of them. And, and a lot of people were dismissive of that because of when it happened, but, like, it's two strikers. Just because you change the glove size doesn't mean you're going to change the skill. And, you know, I was not surprised at all at the way that went out. But that doesn't mean that that means Joanna has to go back down to 115. I mean, she's now dropped three of her last four, and now they're putting her in a situation where she's abusing her body to try to make weight. I I, I think that the UFC did her wrong a little bit here. I, I think that she should be at 125. Like you said, she should put on some extra weight. You know, she may not beat Shevchenko, but at least she's not going to try to kill herself to chase down something she's probably not... You know, I don't think she's going to recapture the 115 belt. I mean, maybe they wanted to try to match her up against Wei Li Zong um, because it's kind of a striker versus striker matchup. But at this point, it's it's more detrimental to her health to, to keep doing this than to, to stay at the higher weight class. I mean, you've seen the success. I mean, look at even Daniel Cormier. I mean, someone you're very familiar with who has well-documented, you know, weight cut issues in his past. You look at what happened to him in the Olympics. You know, he basically had had enough of 205 and you know, people will argue that the John Jones thing had, had something to do with that. But I mean, other than the last fight with Steve Amiosic, when did Cormier ever look bad 
at heavyweight. And he didn't even look bad in that fight. It just Miosic figured out exactly how to beat him. You know, it, it it wasn't because Daniel Cormier had a bad performance. He clearly won the first two rounds. Yeah, uh, you know, um, that fight came down to maybe um, tactical a tactical error. It wasn't anything else; it was just tactical. And uh, you know, Stipe took took advantage of that. It wasn't because Daniel gassed out, or it wasn't because Daniel had a hard weight cut. No, he just got out, just got beat with tactics. That's about it. So. You know, Mo, we, we talked about what the solution is to weight cutting. And you, you touched on one championships um, program, which, you know, they, they gave it a lot of fanfare. And then they kind of like went hush hush about it. And I've noticed that the last couple of events, um, they've actually been publishing the, the hydration numbers. I guess my fear is ha- having been through a couple of events in uh, California and kind of seeing what Andy Foster is doing. Um, I'm wondering how many like fighters are going to fool that system. Like at, at what point can we just say you can't cut weight, you know, like you, you weigh in on Tuesday at a certain weight and you've got to maintain that weight, you know, plus or minus whatever, two or 3% for that entire week. And, and, and that's what you fight at. I mean, is, do you think that's even an option at this point? No, I don't think it's an option. I don't think it should be an option. I think that, you know, if you can make weight, uh, if you make weight, make it. If you if you blow, blow up over the weight class, like you know, because they should give you allowance. Be like, hey, you make weight. Say you make one seventy. You can't weigh more than one eighty eight. If you make more than one, like, like, like kind of like L A. California does it. If you if you make more than weigh more than the allotted um, weight allowance, then you have to go up in weight in that state. I mean, do you think? I mean, the, the reason I question it, and, and I I think you probably are is qualified as anybody to, to comment on it. Um, everybody's body responds differently though. Like someone that's been cutting weight their whole life can probably shed 12 to 15% of their, their body weight and, and still hydrate and be healthy the next night. Whereas some fighters may only be able to do seven or 8% of their body weight. I mean, how do you, how do you account for that? I mean, do you just put the onus on the fighter and, and cross your fingers that nobody gets hurt or dies well they can do a hydration test but that's hard to pass but when it comes down to it's up to the fighters you know um the commission can only set rules that fighters should follow to be safe you know the fighters it's up to the fighters if we want to choose to follow the rules or not now look if we choose to follow the rules if we don't follow the rules we won't be sanctioned to fight or we could go out there fight and get hurt and possibly end up dead you never know so it's, it's up to the fighter himself because the commission will set rules regardless. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that was why one championship ended up where they are is they, they had a fighter die during a weight cut. And, you know, I, I, I think Andy Foster's got his mind in the right place. I'm just not sure how you successfully educate. You know, or, I, there's a, like a implementing his ideas is difficult and I think you get pushback. I mean, I've heard firsthand from both fighters and coaches who hate what Andy Foster is doing because you know, they, they're like, Oh, I, you know, I cut 12% and I'm just fine. And I don't want to have to move up a weight class because I'm, I don't have a frame for that weight class. Well, I guess it's up to them because man, when it comes down to it, man, like it's just, just trying to be safe. We're all different, but at the same time, I feel like the is a rule, you know what I'm saying? Like now I don't think we should get avoid the rules because people, you know, don't agree with it, 
But I think over time, people just have to learn to still live with it. Over time, thinking that people just have to learn to live with it, man. You know, um, unless you want more dead bodies, or unless you want people trying to make, um, you know, cut weight and overdo it. Because don't forget, we have states where, like for instance, like Vermont and other states where MMA is not legal, and you have people throwing shows still. What happens when these guys start trying to cut weight? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's. Those states that don't have commissions, you know, it might it might be legal, but they don't have any oversight. It's it's the wild, wild west for sure. It's probably even worse than that because, like you said, it boils down to fighter safety. I mean, I, basically, the Wyoming doesn't have a commission. I mean, they they kind of borrow from some of the guys down in Colorado, but it's 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 scary when you when you attend those events because you you realize what's missing from them. And yeah, I mean, I think the biggest hurdle for what you're proposing Mo is getting all the States to align on that stuff. Because what you touched on earlier, like if a welterweight is 170 and you say you can only compete in that weight class, if you don't rehydrate above X amount, it's not a bad idea in concept, but the the concern I would have is that either people would cut additional weight to, to stay in that threshold. And the last thing you want is people cutting weight on fight day, because then you've probably got to, you got someone stepping into the cage who's dehydrated and, and then you've got even more potential for, for brain injuries and, and, you know, CTE and those sorts of things. Or, I mean, the, the, the thing is that I, I struggle having worked with lots of commissions through the years is that each one's going to have a different interpretation of it. And I don't know that they're going to want to monitor it to the level. You know, I think California might be going a little overboard by monitoring guys while they're in camp, but I don't know how else you get the data. I don't think it's bad. I don't you think know. it's bad. In boxing, that's what they do in boxing. 30-day weigh-in. They have a six-day weigh-in. And they have a they have a six-day, 30-day, and like 14-day weigh-in. So I don't think that's bad, you know. Um, the, the thing is that, like, if those people want to cut weight the day of weigh-ins, they're just going to take a loss. And if they lose, guess what? They're going to be like, you know what? I can't do this no more. That's on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it might, it, you know, that one time, it might cost them a lot. Or it might just cost them a loss. But it's up to them to find out. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is one of those topics where I don't think there's an easy solution. And, you know, I think all of us want fighter safety to be at the top of the list. And I think we want equal competition as well. I mean, when I think back to when Rumble Johnson was cutting down to welterweight and you know, he missed weight and then fought Charlie Brenneman, who was a lightweight. It it just, it, it seems wrong. I mean, especially if you've seen Rumble lately. I mean, the guy's probably walking around at 240, 250 and thinking that he fought a, a, someone who's maybe at their heaviest walking around at like 190 pounds. It, it's, it's just, it's crazy. So, you know, I, I don't think we should do away with weight classes, but man, finding that solution is, it, it's difficult. I, I and like I said, the, the the reaction I've seen to what Andy Foster is doing doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that other people are going to back this and that other states are going to want to pick it up. I mean, even Nevada, who for a long time was a, a well-respected commission, I mean, Bob Bennett is basically like, yeah, forget that. Like, he's already said that if Andy Foster says a fighter should move up in weight class, he's not going to honor that. And it's like, if, if those two guys who are in neighboring states can't see eye to eye how are we ever going to get there you know 
across the sport. Uh, you know what? But what's going to come down to is going to come down to the commissions, the organizations, what commissions they work with to try to do a coalition with the states that you deal with. So if you're in Nevada, try try to get California on board. Nevada doesn't have the same similar rules. You go to, Cal, you go to New York, try to get a coalition to where it's like unified rules all across the board. If if the states aren't ain't down to do unified rules, then don't have fights there, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> that might be a topic for another day too. Is I mean, the ABC is supposed to be a unified body, and every member is supposed to have the same rules. I mean, when when the UFC visits a state, they slap across the broadcast, oh, we're using the newer version of the unified rules or the old version of the unified rules. Well, they're not unified if there's a new and an old. So, you know, I, I think that, that uh, that's a bigger issue. I mean, we, we maybe we should save that one for, for a later date because until everyone is on the same page, it's going to be really difficult to attack these issues and find solutions to them. I mean, could you imagine if the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins and the Pittsburgh Steelers played under different rules than the other 29 teams in the NFL? Yeah, that'd be crazy. It would be chaos, right? Like, And no one would want to watch it because they'd be like, well, wait a minute, a touchdown's worth seven points instead of six? Or you know, a field goal's worth four instead of three? It would be confusing as hell, or, or holding is five yards instead of ten yards in, in, when those teams play. Like, th- there's, yeah. I don't think you want to get me on this yeah, soapbox yeah. right now. Mo. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's cool. <laughs> All right, Mo, you got anything else you want to add about weight cutting and MMA? Nah, man, you know it's always gonna be a problem until we find a solution, and we have plenty of solutions, but everyone's gonna have different arguments why the why the solution won't work. So it's gonna take time. Yeah, I, I think there's there's hope, but it's going to take time for sure. And, and hopefully we get there and, and hopefully it, you know, improves fighter safety in the long run. I agree. All right, folks, uh, th- that's it for this week. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. Hit us up on uh, the Between Rounds radio discord or reach out to any of us on, on Twitter uh, at Between Rounds underscore at King Mo FH or at Rob Tatum 303. As always, thanks for listening. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.